We go to New York. But where in New York can one find a woman with grace, elegance, taste, and culture? A woman suitable for a king. Queens. Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up today or are best left in the past. I'm Tristan. I'm Greg. Welcome to the pod. And my wife is just trying to get Seymour to go for a walk. So if mm. you hear either someone saying, Seymour, come, or someone saying, woof, woof, it could be either my wife or the dog. Would that be Ara saying woof, woof, or the or is that... There's dog. no way of knowing the door's closed. I can't see who's doing what. I thought what. she was like a dog whisperer. Like, woof, woof. woof, woof. <laughs> she kind of is. Oh, we learned the other day, you know, Seymour's always had an issue with shaking hands. Mm. The command, shake, shake. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. Then the other day. That makes more sense. Ara, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't make eye contact when we shake mm-hmm. hands. Yeah, it's very unsettling. No, he just doesn't always respond. And it's one of the simpler tricks. Mm-hmm. He does it all. You've seen him. He yeah. spins around there. He does. Rolls over. He's got the roll. But the shake, he's always struggled with the shake. And then the other day, Ara's auntie was over. She says, Sung. I'm probably getting that not exactly right. Hand goes up straight away for a handshake. Oh, so he's learned it in Korean this whole time. We didn't know. So now I do it. He'll say Sung or somewhat Sun. I'm not exactly sure on the exact phrasing. Why aren't you? I mean, I'm really bad at it. There's mm. subtle pronunciation things that I, I don't really know. I know how to say yes, nah. Is it? It's, I'm pretty sure it's like a phonetically no. Ah. Pretty, could be wrong. Could be wrong. We're so learned. Yeah, and that's, I feel like that's kind of our, um, the sprinkle on the doubling packed cake is a little obtuse knowledge for you all. Uh, yeah, yeah, or astute. Hmm. Bit of astutity. Very astute. Oh, I haven't put it on the soundboard yet. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. It's very it's, astute of you to bring that up. Yeah. Speaking of astute, mm. we're doing Coming to America. Coming to America spelt T-O, not the number two. Yeah. The, yeah. the original, obviously, 1998. I, I 1988. Thought we, yeah. I thought we were getting in just in time, but we're recording it just in time, but it comes out tomorrow. Comes out tomorrow. So We're recording on have, Thursday. Yes. you met. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Whenever you're listening, it came out last Saturday. <laughs> I think Friday. Wow. Oh, I'm not sure. Maybe it depends. I don't know. What are days? I don't know how time zones work. I don't know how days work anymore, man. It's been a, <laughs> it's been a weird life in the it last 12 has, months. It has. Um, well, we're, we're going to talk about the movie, so I won't jump into how excited I am to talk about this movie yet. Yeah. But I am. But I also am. And it's been fun doing it basically an Eddie Murphy double feature since we did Bowfinger last yeah. week. Because we've had to, I feel like there's so much love for Eddie between us that we we try to ration we them try out. Try to ration, yeah. To the point where we haven't done it in so long. I'm pretty sure with Nutty Professor was the last one, and that was like in the 30s or something. Was it that long ago? I think so. And BHC was early in hindsight, <laughs> embarrassingly early, yeah. way too early for a classic like that. Go back and check it out. Um, this movie came out in 1988. It did. You know what that means? It will only happen once in your lifetime. The world and its nations, achievements, sensations. It's gonna be great and I just can't wait. It's gonna be great and I just can't wait. It's all the world and all its glory. 
Mercury do a song for that? No, that was Barcelona. Barcelona. How does that go? Barcelona. Just at this angle, you have a mo and no beard, so you look. Where you How are my teeth? Not quite big you enough. You can't hear what I'm doing with my teeth, but it's very Freddy. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I'm getting thin on the ground in Expo updates. I'm not going to lie. There mm. is limited resources out there. I have joined a Facebook group called World Expo '88. Nice. Are you an admin on that group? I certainly am not. And I had to say, <laughs> I had to say why I want to join the group. There was a, you know, a, a screening. Mate, you got to share this episode in that Facebook group. Yeah, yeah, I think I should. In many ways, we're an Expo Idea podcast. At least every in some ways, twenty episodes or so. Yeah, that's multiple. That's many. That's mm. many ways. You're right. So look, I get some new material off this uh, off this group, and. Not long ago, it says here. I don't know what that means. Not long ago. Not long ago. Now, it could mean not long to go or not long ago. Mm. But it starts with not long ago, mm. dot, 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 exclamation mark. Now, what they're doing is they're releasing exclusives, exclusive memorabilia and thoughts and thoughts. photos. Photos. Ex- yeah, feelings, memories. <laughs> Exclusive oh, feelings. Exclusive feelings. <laughs> it's, 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 it's butter, baby. It's Do we offer it. exclusive feelings? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, right. I'm offering them right now. Okay. <laughs> and this month's World Expo 88 video exclusive is Cadbury Day. Now, for those of you that weren't there, Cadbury went pretty hard on the old activation mm. at uh, World Expo 88. They had um, men dressed like Fredo Frog handing out that's right, Freddo's. Is Freddo Frog Australian? I think it might be. Should be. Mm. There was dancing girls that remember those little thin bars of. They were basically the size of half a playing card, and they were quite a thin Cadbury chocolate. They still make them. I found them, and they're delicious. But there's like a thin oh. bar of, a thin rectangle square sort of. And it's got like a, the paper around it or something. It's got the and paper and foil. Yeah. So foil and then a wrap of paper. I loved them when I was a kid. Very exciting. Mm. Um, they had ladies dressed up as those dancing. So the problem was now they this got posted on March second that they're releasing this. It, it, this is premiering mm. seven thirty Friday fifth of March. So that is tomorrow night. Only on the World Expo 88 Facebook page, the video goes for five minutes, 20 seconds. Five minutes, 20 seconds. Sorry, I'm so excited. (laughs) And I'll just, the description is. Greg, sit down. (laughs) Okay, calm. Enjoy this delightfully delicious video celebrating the Cadbury Pavilion Corporate Day held on the 28th of June, 1988. This incredibly rare video comes to us courtesy of former Deputy Commissioner of the Cadbury Pavilion, Mr James Kitzelman. Wow. Jimmy Kitzelman, the K-Man. The K-Man. He was, as in fact, the Deputy Commissioner of the Cadbury Pavilion. Right. Wow. I just, I, I just haven't heard of that sort of title before, the Deputy. Maybe we should try and reach so out serious, to James. It sounds so serious because they also said like corporate day or whatever. What is this? It doesn't sound fun. It's chocolate. You need a Willy Wonka type figure. Well, how Maybe do we... some suit across the old Dean. We'll never know. So, look, I've, I've accessed this page. I'm getting some incredibly exclusive rare content. Mm. What I would like to do with our listeners' permission and mm. yours, mm. maybe reach out to one or two of these people, see if I could do a little 
phone interview, get yeah. a couple of sound bites. Yeah. For next 88, our yeah. next 88 movie. But we just need to prep ahead because I feel like these people are going to have busy schedules. Hey, there's a lot going on with these for these guys. Yeah. Obviously. Oh, I mean, this, this video is testament to that. <laughs> I kind of picture like this whole expo thing. I kind of had this mashup in my head of like the Royal Easter show. Yeah. Mixed with like the the World's Fair you might see in like a sci-fi movie from mm-hmm. like a like Tomorrowland, that movie Tomorrowland. Mm-hmm. Like a, rock, a man with a jetpack. Yeah. That's pretty not bad. So Royal Easter show with a jetpack. Well, you got high divers. You got course. high divers. Do they have axe men, chopping men, wood I, choppers? They might have. Well, if you remember, they had pavilions from all those nationalities. Mm. So it was a very multicultural event. Yeah, it was right. a global event. Was um, Zamundra represented? Zamunda? Isn't it Zamundra? No, Zamunda. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Why do they get Zamundra? I don't know. I've written that every time too. <laughs> In my notes. How dare you mispronounce a fictional country? It's Wakandra though, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, hey, it, you know what? It was a big year for movies as well. Yeah, yeah, it actually was. It really, really was. Betrayals. We've we've covered quite a bit, mm-hmm. including that one. Quite a, quite a bit of expo. That Greg just uh, just uh, quoted. Die Hard. Crocodile Dundee 2. Curiously coming in right after a film that came in at number three worldwide that year in 1988. A little film called Coming to America. Good song. Music by Nile Rogers. Yeah. Yeah, big time. Bam. Freak out. That guy, right? He's, well, he's, many, he's everywhere. He's many he's guys. Everywhere. He's many guys. He's. You know, I first, I didn't know who he was being young and ignorant. And then randomly, when I used to work late night at Big W and there was nothing on TV, sometimes there'll be these, um, I guess the infomercials, but there'll be a 30 minute special on someone's new album. But ne- never the ones you're interested in. It'll be things like Michael Bublé or, in this case, Tina Arena. And it was an album produced by Nile Rogers, and I didn't know who he was. And for years, I just thought he was just some Tina Arena guy. <laughs> really? <laughs> and then as I got older, I realized, oh. oh, he's everywhere. Yeah. Good on Tina for getting lucky Nile Rogers. Tina. Yeah, lucky Tina. Is seriously, that, he must have done. I'm in chains for sure. It was after that, I think. What? Yeah, it was the album that you don't remember that came after that. That's crazy. Yeah. Who did I'm in Chains? That's Matt Corby cover of I'm in Chains. <laughs> he goes deeper than than fucking what's the name? Those Tony Braxton notes. He goes he does way a good down everything. There. His he voice does a good is everything. insane. Yeah. Big movie. Came out in June of 1988. <laughs> <laughs> Massive movie. Budget of 36 million dollars, a gross box office return. Of $288 million. Wow. The old 288 and 88. Interestingly, Rotten Tomatoes, critic score of 69%, audience score of 85%. Weird. It's weird. And digging into it, it appears to be critics weren't quite ready for the more gentle demeanour versus the fast talking. It's like, wait, why why you got Eddie Murphy and he's not doing his Eddie Murphy thing? Is that what it was? From what I could see, that seems to be some of the sentiment. What is it, velvet? Yeah. 
throughout this episode, sometimes we'll just say a few lines from the film out of context. Yeah. And that's up to you to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Active listening, it's called. Yeah. Mm. Active potting. Um, personal context, Greg. I would love to hear how your early days with this picture, how you discovered it, how it made you feel. Huge. 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 Now, every so often I have a clear memory of my first viewing or early experiences with a film. Yeah. This is one of them. Oh, really? Fortunately. Which is good because it's early, right? It's Yeah, usually I only get those for ni- movies from 1999. <laughs> I, I, there's no rhyme or reason for mine. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I can't. I don't know. Um, but this one was huge for me. So the base, the memory is uh, for a short period of time my dad was coming home with essentially bootleg copies of movies. I think he had a mate in his uh, office at work who was getting them. And so, right. you know, some of them were filmed in the cinema type proper Right. bootlegs and some were just dodgy copies. Yeah. But they were the classic original bootlegs. I can't remember too many of them but there was – I had like Never Say Never Again, the Connery non-Bond Bond, oh. um, Big Business, Bette Midler, Billy Tomlin. But above all these we had a cassette of a pirated copy of Coming to America. Wow. In, in cinema camcorder type of deal or – It was – I can't remember. There might right. have been someone getting up. Every no now noticeable. There might have been. I can't oh, remember. Okay. But, it, but I remember watching the movie yeah. like countless times. Like I wore that thing out. Wow. I was allowed to watch it. In hindsight, it's pretty progressive. But mm. um, but I guess compared to other things, like I didn't have Rambo, so I got this. Um, a bit. And I watched it a lot. Like yeah. I was obsessed straight away. Yeah. I wouldn't have got half the jokes. Yeah. But I loved all of it. I don't blame you. That's that's me. What about you? Um, I don't remember the first one. Pretty much as with all Eddie Murphy movies, I don't really remember the first. They're just always there. <laughs> um, it was definitely, I mean, once it came into the DVD era, it was on high rotation. Uh, Raw was the number one one in my household during uni. Mm-hmm. But then it was kind of like Raw, Beverly Hills Cop were like the the biggest ones for me. So this one wasn't. I've always loved it, but it's never been. I've kind of bucketed it together a lot with Golden Child and and whatnot. Interesting. Somewhat, in hindsight, unfairly now that I've rewatched it, we'll get into that. But um, I don't know. There was like the stand up, and then there's like quite mainstream Beverly Hills Cop, and then there yep. was the ones that were a bit like because Golden Child as well. Like the supernatural element. There's like these ones that are a bit more. Uh, what's the word like? Almost like Mighty Boosh esque or something. Like, like there's a bit um, less believable. Yeah, but in a good way. Like, yeah, a bit more out there. Yeah, there's like the crazy ones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I always loved them, but I kind of just had them bucketed together. I bucketed this one as a serious one. Yeah, right. I think I would now too. Yeah. And then I think similar to those critics I was shit pagging before. I think I've I don't. Well, it was in high rotation in those days. I, don't, I haven't gone back to it in a long time. And I think it might be because I'm like, oh, I just want to see Eddie Murphy do his fast-talking Eddie Murphy thing because I yeah, do enjoy right. that so much. Interesting. Um, and so I haven't watched this for a while. Interesting. It's always, don't get me wrong, I love this movie, but I haven't watched it in a while. It just kind of like fell out of rotation. Not that I've watched the other ones in a while. I've only watched Beverly Hills Cop because we covered it. Well, we're doing Golden Child next week, right? <laughs> Fuck, we should. We should. <laughs> Triple header. The film that Eddie Murphy called a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. Nuncie. In like a humble brag, he's like, man, I can make that piece of shit 
millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, uh, I want the knife. <laughs> so yeah, big a big one for me overall. Yeah, but it, but almost more just in the sense that almost every Eddie Murphy movie was a big one for me. Yeah, that's not true. I haven't seen Vampire in Brooklyn. Mm. But I'm curious. Yeah, we'll do that two weeks time. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Double Eddie, the Eddie where we Eddie on the Eddie and Eddie. Do you want me to press the origin story? Button? Yeah, let's get into the origin story and therefore hit the button. Origin story. Keep going. So at this stage in Eddie's career, he's huge. You see, nine. What are we? Eighty-seven. I guess eighty-seven. Feel like it was a pretty it. quick movie to make. Actually, it was probably 88 because, yeah, they started shooting it six months before it was due to come out, which was June. What? Yeah, I'll get into that oh, more in a second. Excellent. But he's, he's at his, fuck, even in hindsight, arguably his peak. This, is, this movie is probably his peak. But um, he, this, was, this was still rapid ascension mm. and basically anything he touched turned to gold, a golden child, if you will. <laughs> and um, basically Paramount would do anything, anything he wanted. Yeah. Uh, they gave him his own studio. That's good. Guess what they, they called it? Eddie Murphy Studio. Correct. Eddie Murphy Studios. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, the F- S in the wrong S. place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy's <Zion>. iron. <laughs> you were playing anagrams, were you? I was. <laughs> and so he had a few things going on. He made some TV show, I think, which involved Arsenio Hall and Magic Johnson and a few others. I don't totally – I think it was some, maybe some kind of variety show. I didn't really – we didn't have it here, so I didn't really know what it was. But apparently that was a bit of like an underground hit. It certainly wasn't a mainstream thing. Mm. It, wasn't the, it wasn't what this movie is. But this movie would follow. And I think it was the first big movie done under Eddie Murphy Studios. Now, interestingly, I think with a lot of these movies, Eddie Murphy movies in a similar way to what we said about Steve Martin last week, there's sort of a distinct thing of an Eddie Murphy movie. Yeah, but he doesn't. He's not a writer. He doesn't write them, but he often gets a story by credit, which is the case in this one. He's involved. He's involved. So I guess he's more of a big. He he cracks the overarching idea, and then he's got some ideas, and then gets writers to come in and you know flesh this thing out to put all the right things in the right place to make it a movie. The old beginning, middle, and end, and whatnot. Oh yeah, yeah. The the conflict. uh, The resolution. The the resolution. Um, The betrayal. The betrayal. Wow. Yeah, so he, broadly speaking, this idea emerges. He brings in writers to make this happen, writers he has worked with before back in the SNL days, a writing duo named David Sheffield and Barry Blorstein. Barry Blorstein, Baza. Baza, they'd go on to write uh, Boomerang. Uh-huh. And Nutty Professor. Yes. So frequent collaborators. And speaking of frequent collaborators, Eddie also brought on John Landis, to direct. Yeah, from uh, Trading, Trading Places. Trading Places. And John Landis, in turn, brought on Rick Baker. Who's the, that? The Oscar-winning makeup artist from uh, An American Werewolf in Paris, Thriller, etc. both John uh, Landis movies. But we talked about him before. Rick Baker. Yeah. Rick, There's a name. It's a good name. Yeah. He'll beat you in an arm wrestle. Rick Baker. He can do some push-ups. He can do some costumes. Yeah, he put oh, – he sure can. He did Nutty Professor. We talked about him before. Yeah. Um, we did. I didn't remember that. I checked. <laughs> so I feel like we should have. Yeah. The logic was surely Eddie Murphy brings this guy back from that professor. <laughs> and you go back to that podcast. We're like Rick Baker. That's a great name. <laughs> he knows how to do some push-ups. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, mm. We're nothing if not predictable. Mm. And meanwhile, Arsenio is having a bit of a moment in the background. Yeah. Not even in the background. He's emerging to the foreground. So he's kind of breakthrough. I wasn't aware of this. Again, being in Australia, we didn't get some of these things. No. We got a lack of Arsenio here. We got a lack of Arsenio. Well, I think once he got the show, we might have had it in some form somewhere eventually, but not readily available. But where it started was actually the Joan Rivers show. Oh, yeah. Which was a late night show designed to compete with um, with uh, Johnny Carson. Oh, yeah. On Fox. And oh, yeah. it started off okay, then it just started not doing so great. She left and they brought on a few guest hosts to see it through and then it was over. But one was a young man named Arsenio and he killed it and it really just like caught on. as like, oh, this guy's something. Good, yeah. He would eventually get the Arsenio Hall show, I think, with Paramount. But needless to say, he was kind of a hot property at this point. He was already friends with Eddie Murphy from a couple of years earlier. Not um, yet friends with Van Damme. Not yet friends with Van Damme. As he likes to call him. Yeah. <laughs> man. I love for the ages. I got a bit on that later because I feel like we don't often get to talk about Arsenio within <laughs> the context of him was, being in the movie. I was hoping I don't, so I was hoping he He's did. appeared on the show many times because we often use clips from his yes. show because he's a wealth of information yeah. when it comes to the movies we cover. But he's in. He's in too. So all these pieces are coming together. It's all going very well, a little too well. Because as I mentioned, they started shooting this thing six months before it was supposed to come out. And, and tensions uh, were high, particularly between Eddie and Landis. So I've heard. I had no idea about this until earlier today. Me too. Now, you've got to remember that when they first worked together, Eddie Murphy was was early days. Fresh. He was a child. His second film or something, wasn't it? Something like that. He was a child. Probably his biggest First, first big film, perhaps. But now it is on top of the world. Uh-huh. He brought in Landis. He's done two rounds of Axel Foley. Yeah. He's fucking Axel Foley, man. He's Eddie Murphy. He's a comedian. He's done a lot. So the power dynamic had shifted, which was a bit of an adjustment for both of them. Mm-hmm. Now, credit to both for still putting together something great. And they still talk about it as in professionally the result was good. Having said that... <laughs> They definitely don't see eye to eye on on certain things. So so I've got a couple of quotes here that kind of add a little colour. So Landis recalled the differences in working with Eddie Murphy on the two movies and he said, the guy in Trading Places was young and full of energy and curious and funny and fresh and great. The guy on Coming to America was the pig of the world, the most unpleasant, arrogant, bullshit entourage, just an asshole. Oh, do you reckon he had Charlie Murphy running around? I hope so. Got to be. He would cause a, he was a, he would cause like, a ruckus. I would like John Landis's true Hollywood stories. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Now, Murphy has spoken about this too. He said, um, we had a tussling confrontation. We didn't come to blows. Personalities didn't mesh. He directed me in Trading Places when I was just starting out as a kid, but he was still treating me like a kid five years later during Coming to America. And I hired him to direct the movie. I was going to direct Coming to America myself, but I knew that Landis had just done three fucked up pictures in a row and that his career was hanging on by a thread after the Twilight Zone trial. I figured the guy was nice to me when I did Trading Places, so I'd give him a shot. Side note, Twilight Zone trial. He was making the Twilight Zone movie and there was a helicopter crash and like eight people died or something. So it was a legit trial. 
Oh, it wasn't a trial of whether this film's going to be good or not. No. It's like, that's an interesting choice of words. Yeah. So, anyway, he continues. I was going to, I was going out of my way to help this guy and he fucked me over. Now he's got a huge picture on his resume, uh, a movie that made over 200 million, as opposed to him coming off a couple of fucked up movies, which is where I'd rather see him be right now. <laughs> hmm. I got to tell you, in the process of researching this movie, I came up, I came across a few fucking great, fucking tasty, spicy Eddie Murphy fire <laughs> like that. Oh, you did? I always thought he was quite passive. You, you see him in interviews. He's one of those guys that's a lot quieter in real life than you yeah. expect. Well, yeah. But so I was like, I don't know. I kind of get a kick out of hearing some of these things. <laughs> yeah. I always heard that I knew something went down on Saturday Night Live, but I've never really I – th- I think it was he didn't take drugs. Yeah, the, you, you told that story before. Yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> well, I can't remember. No. He – because he's straight edge, right? He doesn't yeah, and take any all, drugs. They and all took all his drugs and so he kind of had a flip out with him. It's a I, massive scene there, yeah. I guess that's different again, isn't it? I don't think he's like a difficult guy. I've never heard any of that before. Mm. Like you hear about difficult people. He doesn't seem to be one. Yeah. And maybe, yeah, if you're coming from a place where last time, you know, as a director, you like you say jump, they say how high. And now he's the one saying jump. Mm. And you need to ask how high. Like he's he was kind of a the director power for. dynamic shifted, as you said. He was a director for hire, you know. Yeah, you got to strap him board and fill the Gs. Now, I don't know math and magician, so I don't know if this is perhaps the root of one of the issues here, but Murphy received a personal salary of $8 million mm-hmm. plus 15% of film rentals. So I've never heard that before and I don't know. Is he still getting them? I wonder. How does that work? I don't know, yeah. How do they track that? How do they track that? Is and and volume-wise, is that like a lot? I'm unclear. Surely it's a lot. But Landis received 600000 so at first glance, I was like, oh, that's and why he's bitter. And a lifetime supply of McDowell's. Yeah. <laughs> and soul glow. Just let <laughs> your soul uh, During, um, you know, 2020, the grand Tristan Grozzi's hair experiment, I had some soul glow moments. My little mullet at the back. Oh, My hair changes every day. Sometimes, some days it is quite, quite Holy. soul glow-ish. But anyway, Landis received 600K plus 10% of gross... Profit, gross receipts, not gross profit, gross receipts, which I guess for a film that made 288 million is 28 million bucks. Stop complaining, John Stop Landis. Complaining, <laughs> Stop complaining, Landis. Stop complaining, Landis. Seymour's just under the door listening to us. That is adorable. That's so cute. <laughs> He's just got his snout just under. Have uh, a listen. Well, anyway, they got these guys figured it out. They, they figured out how to work together enough to produce what turned out to be a. A roaring success. Sure did. Um, they they got these people in front of some some painted backdrops of <laughs> fictional lands, fictional lands, and uh, bish bash posh. You get yourself a picture, rap party at McDowell's. Yeah, big mix all round. But yeah, let's play the trailer. Once upon a time, in a faraway kingdom, lived a handsome prince. He was attended by devoted servants. Do you think perhaps just once I might use the bathroom by myself? Most amusing, sir. Wipers! 
and engaged by royal decree. Why? Why can't I find my own wife? We've gone to a great deal of trouble to select for you a very fine wife. I want a woman that's going to arouse my intellect as well as my loins. Where will you find such a woman? In America. So he traveled across the sea to the land of opportunity, which is where the fairy tale ends and our story begins. Behold, Simi! Life! Real life! And seeing that we have been denied for far too long. We're in New York now. Let us dress as New Yorkers. I feel like a complete idiot. Have either of you ever had any fast food work experience before? Certainly not. This will be our first job in the United States. I am Akeem. Nice to meet you, Akeem. I have recently been placed in charge of garbage. That's good to know. Oh my goodness, it is you! Greetings, your highness. Who was that? Eddie Murphy. Just the man I met in the restroom. Arsidio Hall. Ah! In a comedy fable of royal romance. When I look at these contestants for the Miss Black Awareness pageant, I feel good. Apparently these are the best women Queens has to offer. Pick one and let's go home. I want to tear you apart. And your friend too. Coming to America. Sir, I was wondering, did you happen to catch the professional football contest on television last night? No, I didn't. Oh, it was most exhilarating. The Giants of New York took on the Packers of Green Bay. And in the end, the Giants triumphed by kicking an oblong ball made of pigskin to a big H. It was a most ripping victory. Son, if you want to keep working here, stay off the drugs. Yes, Classic 80s trailer. That sure was. Sure was. Would you be so kind as to perhaps break down the plot for our friends of the show at home who may need a bit of a refresher? Uh, Okay. Sorry to put you on the spot. Put me on the spot there. But I could. If you could. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I guess I would say, what if you had it all? A kingdom of natural beauty. Hand-painted backdrops, wealth beyond imagination, Mm. butt wipers, (laughs) peen cleaners, (laughs) and a queen-to-be who exists to quench your royal fire. But what if something is missing, Tristan? What if you value opinion and virtue over submission and obedience? Well, this is the story of Akeem. Prince of Zamunda. On his 21st birthday, Akeem is set to be married to an arranged bride and at the 11th hour he insists that he must travel before settling down. And his father sees this as an opportunity for him to go and soil his royal oats. Mm. So him and his humble servant and seeming best friend, (laughs) Semi, plan to go to America. So they go to New York, but where in New York do you find a bride fit for a, to be a queen? Mm. Queens, queens, of course. And off they go. And Akeem wants to blend in and be treated like a commoner, mm. with hilarious results. <laughs> and the rest, you know, is history. 
Yeah, it's a love story. <laughs> what do you want? It's a love, it really is a love it's story. It's a love story. It's a rom-com almost. It's totally a rom-com. It's potentially even a fairy tale. Also a fairy tale. Nice, mm. nice. I got a bit on that later because that's something I didn't think of before. That I saw Eddie Murphy say this in the in the press tour for coming to America. Oh yeah, and it, it kind of shaped my rewatch. But before I get into that, a couple of things on the rewatch for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Way better than I remembered. Way better than you remember. It's one of the rare ones where I mean, Beverly Hills Cop. Was great, but like uh, it's always been there for me. Like yeah. that's great, and it still is great. Awesome. This was like even better than I remembered because I was a little bit worried that it might be quite sexist or something. Like remembering remembering the royal penis is clean out of context. You're like, oh wait, what kind of movie is this? Until you rewatch it in context, that joke is there. It makes sense. It serves a purpose. That joke. Oh, he has ass wipers too. Like it's all part of the thing of setting up this. Who I mean, we, you know. No one's going to question the bathing scene of this film. <laughs> yeah. But you see what I'm getting at. It's an 80s movie. It's early boob. That was a, one it's of – opening boob. Yeah. It's one of the most – God bless the 80s. For, 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 a, for a young Tristan, that's the most yeah, important scene. I forgot scene. to mention that. Yeah, I forgot to mention that too. <laughs> for a young Tristan, that's the most important scene. And so upon reflection before rewatching it, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And I'm like, oh, no, am I going to be disappointed with the sexism in this movie? Mm. But, I, I mean – Broadly speaking, it's fine. There's no issues there from my point of view. Again, a bit like when we talked about Miyagi the other week, I'm sure an expert could come in and point point some Yeah, some I mean issues, the idea of James speaking, L. Jones having sex with those young girls is pretty fucked up. Yeah, okay, that. that's a good point. Yeah, noted. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move right along now. Nothing to say here. Um, but, yeah, and I think while I have rewatched this a lot, I think the beauty of doing this podcast sometimes is watching it not just background watching, passive mm-hmm. watching, because sometimes with movies like this, you put it on because it's comfort zone food. Uh, comfort food? Yeah, comfort food called comfort Com- zone. Mixing my metaphors Comfort there. zone food sounds delicious though. <laughs> like eating a cushion. Um, but, you know, you kind of put it on and you let it play and you catch bits of it. But to really sit down and watch it, fucking good movie, man. Mm. Fucking good movie. Yeah, it really is. <clears throat> fucking good movie. Now there's a few reasons why I, I think this. But, Greg, what, before we get into those, how was the rewatch for you? Look, it's not been a very long time since I've seen this. Yeah. Um, I introduced Carol to this film so, and it's a while ago. So it's probably, it might be it might be five plus years ago. Ara hasn't seen this and she, she didn't watch, watch it? it with That's me. That's bullshit. And she only caught the end and she's like, oh, I like this. I'm like, yeah, yeah you would love this movie. She would movie. love it. It's a rom-com. It's a fairy tale. Yeah. And right. it's sweet. It's got heart. It's got continue, heart. Sorry. It's got balls. <laughs> it's got heart and balls. Heart and balls, good name for an advertising agency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, look, as soon as the Paramount logo gets zoomed in on and the – Beautiful. The little song, the little laugh, and then it zooms Man. into Zamunda. That visually, that whole opening is spectacular. Yeah, it hits for those that you can't, can't remember. It, it basically starts with the Paramount logo like many films do big friend of the show, the Paramount Group, mm. and then it zooms in on the mountain and then goes behind it and, like, it's the 
which is quite valleys. seamless because the whole Zamunda. it's all matte paintings anyway. Yeah, so it does blend quite nicely with the Paramount logo. I never realised it was paintings before. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> Even when I watched the but, it, years but ago. it adds to the fairy tale aesthetic for me. It's like this magical. It's a bit like Wizard of Oz or something. Like yeah. it, it puts it in that kind of space. Yeah, I don't expect it, it but I would love there. if they did that in the sequel. I don't expect they would, oh. but you know. I hope there's a few surprises for us. Mm. Yeah, so it was a delight from start to finish again. Mm. Man, I, I love this movie. I love it. Yeah. Tell me what you were thinking. It's so good. <laughs> Can we just spend the next hour? Just, it's just very good. Mm. It's just so good. There's a few things I like about it. Now, from a more, uh, I guess, uh, there are some bigger reasons why I like it, but more just in terms of humour and minute-to-minute enjoyment. Yes. What I think is quite cool about this, we've talked about this in other movies where like Wayne's World where each, each scene kind of works as its own little sketch a little bit, but this takes this to, to a new extreme where there's like distinct scenes in this movie that don't even really need to be there to be honest. They could stand, you could take these scenes out and the movie still makes sense. So like the barbershop, mm-hmm. the soul glow stuff, they sexual chocolate. They're, they're <laughs> almost like they're just squeezed in standalone sketches into the narrative. It's great because it gives you a lot of variety when you're watching it. And like I said, I think it adds a lot of flesh to the bones. Yeah, and you get to see all of Eddie Murphy's moves. They're also very poignant um, black culture references as well. Yeah, which I think is important for yeah. the, for the film. Which not to deviate too much, but apparently there's a lot on that. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, we'll get into that later, we'll perhaps. That. Yeah, but just in terms of like flow and just mm. consistent entertainment levels. There's something you're watching a movie, but every now and then, almost like Family Guy, but that's doing it a disservice because Family Guy does it lazily, where it's these cutaway jokes. But you go off on these delightful tangents where you, you're just now in a barbershop sketch, especially mm. that first barbershop part. They don't even walk in there. They're not even in the like Akeem and his mate are not even in there. It's just Cuba Gooding Jr. and and the yeah. barbers chatting. Yeah. So it's there like for, it's not. Yeah, it's like I want to do a barbershop scene. <laughs> yeah. They go in there later and it's and you you know, the or but yeah. And how does the chat, the Muhammad Ali chat is yes. just, I'm a Colton Clay. He <laughs> respect his vicious. <laughs> we call him Muhammad Ali. <laughs> so good. And sexual uh, chocolate and even just the concept uh, of McDowell's and uh, knowing that these writers worked on SNL with Eddie Murphy, you could imagine each of these individually just being sketches on SNL. Yeah, oh, absolutely. A barbershop sketch, sexual chocolate as a sketch, McDowell's as a sketch. These all kind of work on their own and it's almost like somehow Eddie's made this 90-minute sketch comedy special that just happens to be have a movie wrapped around it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, and it still works as a movie. It's not just a bunch of vignettes or whatever. It still obviously works but it's it's just a fuckload of fun, man. Mm. It's so fun. <laughs> and happy. And happy. Music, great music like you said, even oh, from the opening. music. Now Rogers, of course. Man, the music, I... Like early repitch here, you could have this as a musical. Yeah. Like there are so many hits in this that are not. The dancing at the, at the first wedding. Oh, Paul Abdul choreographed that. Did she? FYI. It was good. Is she good? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes, Paul Abdul. Oh. I don't know. She sings with animated cats. Yeah. That's pretty good. That's amazing. <laughs> I only yeah, know her exa- from. Exactly. <laughs> I only know her from that and American Idol. Oh, Paul Abdul had a lot of game, but she uh, she choreographed that. They're, like then they're all songs in the show, like Soul Glow and yeah, 
Sex with Chocolate. It's not like a score. <laughs> there's songs in the movie. Like there's a lot of music in the film. If that can, Queen to that, be. Queen to be. What a song. I've sung that at a wedding. <laughs> Elaborate. It was Tristan and Corinne's wedding. Wait. Tristan oh. and Corinne's. Jason and Corinne's. Fuck. <laughs> Surprise to both of you. <laughs> I was with them last weekend. Huh. Uh, it was Jason and Corinne's wedding and – he said I was chatting to him towards the end of the evening, and he said he'd had a he said he'd had a great night, but he'd really hoped that I'd sing Queen to Be, which I, we hadn't discussed at any point prior, previously. So I said, "There's still time. I can do it." And so he said, "Sweet, can you sing it when we leave?" And I said, "Can you ask your wife, please? Because I don't want to like do that at, at a poignant wedding moment." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I've checked. We're on." <laughs> so I just belted out, I, "Well, it's an a cappella song, isn't it?" Yeah, it works. Unannounced, you just started? Well, unannounced to everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine something like that unfolding. There may be certain phases to the reception of such a performance. It was a positive moment. From the start? Just, yeah. Did people get it right away? People were just into it. Yeah, it was the end of Fuck a wedding. Yeah. Everyone's drunk. That's true. That was the worst part about my wedding. No, don't get me started. It was all terrible. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, the worst part about our wedding is we didn't really plan the end. And we didn't do anything, just kind of fizzled. And then we got an Uber to the hotel. <laughs> like, it was, um, like an exit? Yeah, there was no like yeah, grand exit thing. Ah, oh, there have been so much before though. You had the full Korean. Oh, it was great. Don't get me wrong. But for my next wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I also had an old-fashioned on arrival at your wedding. Yeah, like, that, was, oh boy. that was an error. <laughs> that was a, a, an admin error that went down a treat. And it still didn't – we still – Used the same amount on the bar tab, so it was meant to be. It was perfect. It's meant to be. That was a side note, but a delightful one. Mm. Um, yeah, the music, and we mentioned the the matte painting stuff before, and this idea of a fairy tale really does work nicely. Mm-hmm. Very much so. So Eddie Murphy in the promo tour for the new one has been saying this quite a bit. Um. Says I think the reason why coming to America resonated and really worked with black folks is that it's it was our fairy tale, and this new movie is a fairy tale as well. Yada yada yada. But I'd never heard that before. I'd never thought about that before. Yeah. And there's a whole layer to this movie, which is that it's almost entirely black cast, except for Louis yeah. Anderson, Who? which um, the guy at McDowell's. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's a comedian. He's like, oh, you had to be. He's hilarious. Yeah. He's um, go from washing lettuce. Yeah, yeah. And he was just a mate of theirs. They had to hire a a white guy apparently. The studio was like, maybe maybe get a white guy in there. And they're like, yeah, we'll just get Louis. (laughs) Was there three? I thought I read three. Uh, There's technically three. I think one was like the cab driver and that there's there's three with lines. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. But um, which was completely lost on me as a child. I didn't, you didn't notice. Same until I read it today. Yeah, you didn't notice that it's like, there's a whole layer to this movie, that, that meta layer of, this movie even existing as an all-black cast being such a big deal that I was completely oblivious to and then adding to that this idea that, yeah, it is a fairy tale that isn't just filled with white people, that's a big fucking deal. Yeah. Once I kind of opened my own eyes to that from from what Eddie was saying. It makes Black Panther look like amateur hour. Well, it's the thing. There's so much overlap there. It's just, Black Panther is almost like this spiritual sequel in many, many ways. I was looking into it and there's there's a, there's quite a bit of overlap. Now, even just at that meta level of a movie getting made with almost entirely black cast, mm-hmm. 
is a big deal. Mm-hmm. There's that level. Similarities there. Yeah. Check. Then there's also the layer of fictional countries. Zumandra and Wakandra. <laughs> Zumandra. Zamunda. 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 Keep saying Zamandra. I don't know where I've got that from. Nowhere. I feel like I've been saying that for years and it's just... It's, it's just, a man, Mandula effect. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and they even make the Wakanda joke in the Coming to America trailer, the, the second one. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen it. What's the... Um, Leslie Jones's character is like, oh, he's from Wakanda. <laughs> he's the prince of Wakanda. <laughs> I was who's hoping. Who's Leslie Jones? Um, she plays the mother of, the baby mama of an illegitimate child he finds out he has. Oh. She's from SNL. Spoiler She's alert. pretty hilarious. It's in the trailer. What if people are keeping it pure like me? Well, they've probably already seen it. Both fictional places, uh-huh. both places that show black royalty, which is extremely rare, rare on screen, especially in 88, but even still in 2018 when Black Panther came out. Um, now, we don't see as much of Zamunda as we do of Wakanda. That's true. But Wakanda is definitely more, uh, definitely heavier on, hey, this is what Africa would be without white intervention angle, mm. which is why well, it's quite powerful. And What's their medal? Vibranium. Vibranium? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's better than unobtainium. What's that? That's in um, Avatar. Unobtainium? Yeah, I Googled that. Apparently that's a thing. I think it's a term they use for something. But it sounds stupid. Hard to get (laughs) him. Whereas fuckium. (laughs) Plot deviceium. Um, now there's less vibranium in in Zamunda, <laughs> but I think that that vibe still applies. There's still this vibe of like without the uranium. <laughs> yeah, even and Eddie Murphy's daughter, one of Eddie Murphy's daughters, is in um, Coming to America, and I've seen her being interviewed in the lead up to as well. And she's like, "Yeah, it's the first time." Of course, it's awesome that my dad's in the movie, but it's also as a child the first time you see black royalty. It's fucking rare. I'd never, mm. I'd never thought. Obviously, as a Ignorant white boy. I never thought about any of this. <laughs> oh. Yeah. It, you, think, you don't realise how important that shit is. And um, it was a big deal at the time too. It was a very big deal at the time. So this movie became a bit of a turning point for Eddie Murphy because it's something, again, that I wasn't really conscious of before, but every movie up until this point, he was almost the only black guy in. That, mm. was, almost the, that was almost the joke. Mm. Like Beverly Hills Cop. Um, yeah, uh, forty-eight hours. Others trading places. Trading places. That's the whole. It's kind what? of the whole point to yeah. the point where you got your Spike Lee's of the world who yeah, yeah, were yeah. quite angry about this and saying he gets you know, angry a fair bit. He gets angry at everyone, um, but he said, you know, if Eddie, he says this, if Eddie Murphy, who made a billion dollars for Paramount, went into their offices and said, "I ain't making any more films until you hire some black people in your front office," they would have to do it. I hope he'll get his clout. I hope he'll use his clout for this rather than focusing on who gets the best table at Spargo's. What's Spargo's? It's a fancy restaurant back in the day in LA. Well, a Eddie, place to Eddie's see and get, be seen. Eddie's going to get the best table at Spargo's, Spike. Yeah, exactly. Relax, Spike. Yeah. <laughs> Go have your Sal's pizza. Is what? that what it was? In um, Do the Right Thing. But anyway, 
Murphy responded to that and said, the company's called Paramount, not Eddie, not Eddie Murphy Productions. Not Eddie Murphy Studios. <laughs> not Eddie Murphy Studios. I can't walk into the studio's front offices and demand shit hires some black people here. Now, this is all pre this movie and then once this movie came out. So, well, maybe I can. Well, yeah, A, that, but then B, Spike Lee even said, fucking all right, man. Yeah, because apparently the back, like the, what do you call it? The crew. Yeah. Was a, he had a, a lot of black crew for this, right. I believe. When even just the actors. Even, oh, even yeah, the, alone the whole is cast huge. is massive, yeah. And so, yeah, Spike Lee, I think he wrote a book that accompanied Do the Right Thing or something, but he referred to this. Do the Right Thing, a novella? Perhaps. <laughs> but, he, yeah, he called it a serious move by Eddie Murphy to do a film by and about black people. Yeah. And it's such a big deal. The fact that we never thought of it this way just goes to show what a big deal it was because it wasn't, it's probably, probably one of the first mainstream movies to have an all-black cast, mm. which is crazy. Now, the thing was, this was the first one, but then the next two, he'll do three in a row that were almost all black cast. So the next one would be Harlem Nights and then Boomerang. Who's in Harlem Nights? It's got everyone. It's got, um, Richard, it's got Richard Pryor, oh. Red Fox, Arsenio. Um, it's about a club in the 20s. I haven't yeah. seen it. I had it on DVD and I didn't watch it. <laughs> Martin Lawrence? No, I don't think so. So, yeah, three in a row of this thing. And it was actually kind of controversial in the US. So I've got a clip here of um, Eddie Murphy talking about this with Jay Leno. And Jay Leno is on the right side of this conversation, but he's not being very articulate. And Eddie Murphy slings some zingers about this. It's fucking delightful to watch. Now, he's talking specifically about Boomerang here, but I feel like it's all related. The coolest thing about, uh, about Boomerang and, and the most political thing about Boomerang is that it's a movement. All black cast and it has nothing to do with being black or nothing. It's just people. You see, you see, that's my point. I don't, to me, any good movie, when you become the person in the movie, like I'm sitting, I went to see League of, uh, League of Their Own. And I'm sitting there going, oh, I'm Gina Davis. I'm the one throwing the ball. Because you put yourself in, in the... Now, see, I would think you would say, oh, I'm Tom Hanks, not Gina Davis. <laughs> oh, no, well, Apparently, you know... I guess you don't know me that well, but you know, <laughs> like I'm reading this thing, I'm reading this through from, this is from the LA Times, this review, it says, it says, the most intriguing aspect of Boomerang turns out, not its story, but its racial composition. It says, uh, this takes pains to create a reverse world from which white people are invisible. Now, oh yeah, this cat and the LA Times is tripping because there was, uh, there were no, uh, there, well, there are white people in the movie, but there were no like... Uh, you know, like lead, white leads in it. And you take a picture like Boys in the Hood. No one tripped about that because it was, you know, a movie that dealt with like a, a violent thing. But right. regular thing and it was business. So we're the white people. Who's running that office? You know, that kind of I mean, so when you, when you get that type of criticism, you can't really trip on it. Or if someone's reviewing a movie and they're tripping on me. You know, personally, I don't, I don't even. Well, it's a cultural bias. It's the type of thing where people say they're not, they're not used to seeing black uh, artists in these roles, so it, it, it seems odd to them. But you know, I would say, well, you better get used to it because I ain't going no place. (laughs) I ain't going no place. (laughs) And I saw, uh, and I saw, I saw Batman. I seen black people in Batman. No, I didn't. Penguins and cat women. They could add one a brother with a limp or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. 
and I think that 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 just that overall uh, meta layers of this movie that I was completely oblivious to mm. is uh, a I already loved the movie aside from that, but b not realizing how important of a movie it was not just for the audience, but then it's Eddie Murphy like starting a new chapter where he's like consciously making movies that are going to have a represent black people, but give people work. And you got mm. early days. Samuel Jackson, you got early days, a lot of people in here. Uh-huh. Uh, Commissioner Burrell, <laughs> the landlord. Ah. I was like, who the fuck is he? Who the fuck is he? Who the fuck is he? But there's a million faces like that, yeah. of people that went on to do like lots of things. But yeah, just the, I just never really considered that before that Eddie Murphy made this conscious decision at a certain no, point. Neither. It's fucking cool. Respect. Yeah, respect. I, do you know what? Like there's, a, there's obviously a good bit of irony with um, Joffy. King Joffy having a dead lion draped over him for most of the film. <laughs> I didn't think of that. That's great. And he talks about, I am I am the man, the ruler of all or I survey. Yeah. Everything He's, the light touches. He bases yeah, near enough, right? <laughs> and this was before Lion King. And I knew that Akim and Simba had the same dad. I knew that. But I didn't know. And that Luke Skywalker. That Akim and, and Luke Skywalker. I didn't know that Akim and Simba had the same mum. Mm. She does Mrs. Mustafa. No way. Yeah, she's the mum. Is that a, like an Easter egg? I think no, because this was first. A bit, but when they did Lion King, I guess. I think they just went. That couple is our couple. And these are the Easter eggs I wanted in Black Panther. I wish there was some a little overlapping. Yeah. Oh, because I forgot to mention, a lot of people went to the premiere dressed in. Did they? Coming to America costumes. I didn't know that there's like this, until I watched this. There's this. It's a conscious celebration that these two things are connected in I that way. I never knew. Me neither. But the idea for The Lion King apparently was conceived in late 1988 between mm. a bunch of the execs, obviously. At, well, when at they Disney. chose to copy it from Kimber the White Lion in Japan. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't wait to dig we into that. We get that. that. One. And we take that. <laughs> put him in a dare. Kimber. Simba. Yes, but we use the guys from coming to America because that's got <laughs> African notes. Yeah. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that wild? That's crazy. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, I, 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 and I didn't because she's not in it that long. Is she dies mm. in birth, doesn't she, or something? What's the, I can't remember. I can't remember. I haven't. She's not in the whole film, obviously. Fuck, that's a good question. Does she die at birth? I can't remember. Little Simba. I'm going to watch that again. Well, we'll do it at some point. Hey, speaking of little uh, little nuggets like that, I got a nugget for you. Oh yeah, chicken. Uh, yeah, chicken nugget. I got beef nugget. Szechuan sauce. Beef nugget. <laughs> Sounds like a poo. <laughs> <laughs> it would look like a poo too. <laughs> and beef nuggets from that Aussie show. What? Well, they open up. Is it called Takeaway or something? And the guy. I feel, oh, I feel like it's got like I've watched half of that on Netflix one Sunday on afternoon. It's a movie, right? Yeah, has it got like... It's got a, Vince Colosimo yeah, and the other guy. Yeah. The other guy. Stephen Curry? Yeah. It wasn't very I good. And Rose Byrne, I think, right? I oh, yeah, you're in a Smith sad. Yeah. Didn't quite blow up from there. <laughs> Sorry, what were you going to say? Shouldn't have bought that boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should never have bought that boat. <laughs> uh, first ever mic drop. He may yes. have invented the mic drop. Yeah, I think as far as I'm concerned he did. Yeah, he was telling this story on Fallon, which I won't play the clip because it's Fallon. <laughs> Is there a lot of this? <laughs> 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 Hit table. 
It's so much more awkward watching Fallon now without audience laughter. Uh, so it's just lingers. I, I riddle you this. Why are you watching it? Well, it's only clips like this. And this is the thing. I actually yeah. I do like Fallon overall, but I just find the interviews hard to watch. I like him when he's doing impressions of musicians. He does great impressions. He's anyway. talented. He's, yeah, um, I, this seems to be the first on record mic drop. And Eddie even mentions, you know, the end of Delirious or Raw, I can't remember. He drops the mic, but it's not a mic drop. Mm. He just kind of drops it. But this is like a sexual juggler drop. He drops it. And then it, it, it. And I forgot to mention last week, they say, because we did Bowfinger last week, they say Steve Martin invented air quotes. Have you heard that before? He invented air quotes. Steve Martin. It's like saying I invented the question mark. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Damn. Damn. What have we done? I invented the phrase glute toot. You did. It's when you fart when you're doing a squat. Mm-hmm. Squat farts. It's a gym-based fart. The gym-based. It's really any gym-based fart. It's appropriate. A glute, a glute toot. I like it. I got one for you. Oh, yeah. Um, I was a bit just curious. This uh, this family's very affluent. Mm. I was like, well, a lot of African small countries are pretty poor and struggling a bit and I didn't understand yeah. what the – is there is there many African monarchies? So I did some digging. Ah, interesting. There's a couple of – there's an overlapping story here. Mm. First one is um, there's a, comp- a company, a country that's I think the former Swaziland and they've right. got this king, King Mwiswati the third, mm. who in 1986 became the youngest ruling monarchy, uh, monarch in the world. He was 18. Oh, wow. So he has 15 wives. So I'll never be the youngest monarch in the world. It's past you. Damn. Sorry, bro. That's all right. You can be the lo- youngest. I can be the oldest. <laughs> that's still on the table. Yeah. Is it? I don't Probably know. not. Probably not. Um, 15 wives, this guy, mm. one five. Yeah, right. A few concubines in the mix as well. And he apparently is uh, very controversial in his extravagant and lavish lifestyle mm. because the average Swazi lives off $1.25 a day uh, right. and he cruises around in Maybachs and whatnot. Yeah, because I'd worried about because you don't see a lot of um, the country mm. other than the royalty. In the back of my mind, it did worry me. Wait, is this one of those bad ones? Like, what's I think his name? it's beautiful. I think they're. I, I think like to think of it as a Wakanda. It's more like Wakanda. Yeah, okay. Good. It's clearly more like Wakanda. They're not evil, right? <laughs> well, did you hear the controversy around people claiming who wrote this? Yeah, there was a lot of lawsuits. Yeah, so I'll bridge into this with one of those lawsuits was by a guy, <laughs> an actual prince. Yeah. <laughs> Called Prince Oman Abba Adeli Muftawal. Yeah. Muftawal. Mm. AKA Prince Johnny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> who claimed this was his story. He said he moved to from the Ivory Coast to LA to find a bride that loved him for who he was and not his vast wealth. Yeah, right. And, and um, you know, regal titles. Yeah, that's crazy. He did. I don't believe he received a, um, a payout. No, you know who did? Another guy. Another guy, Art <laughs> Blutschwald. Yeah. Apparently there were five lawsuits in total. Really? And this, there was the real prince and then there was um, some screenwriters and this yeah. guy, Art. Art. <laughs> Who actually sold a script. To Paramount. To Paramount. With Eddie Murphy attached. Yeah. 93 called King for a Day, which was same overall premise. I can't speak to the details here, yeah. but 
It's a pretty specific premise. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't you sure it wasn't King Ralph <laughs> with John Goodman attached. I don't know, maybe that's basically the same movie. It's not. It's not impossibly different. It's like a reversey. <laughs> yeah, it's royalty. Oh, uh, yeah, it is reversey. And we mentioned before, Crocodile Dundee is similar. Um, or a fish out, the old fish out of water. Oh yeah, scenario. Splash a crocodile out of water, if you will. Really? Splash. That's a, that's a, a real match. fish out of water film, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Court ruled in favour of art. Yes, but after Paramount, four years, well, Paramount appealed. They tried to prove that the movie made no money. I only learned about this when we did Forrest Gump. But it's a thing these studios do to get out of shit like this. In the Forrest Gump case, it was the guy that wrote the book. His deal was to get X amount percentage on the back end or whatever of the profit. Like, yeah, well, we didn't make any profit. <laughs> so you don't get anything. They eventually gave him another book deal or whatever to make up for it. But they do this thing and they did it to this guy. Well, we didn't, the film didn't make any money. What do you want? It was the third biggest movie in the world. Expenses. <laughs> and the expenses include everyone getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> the expenses, my boat. <laughs> Um, but they finally settled in 1995. I think he got like five million or something. But I think they settled. Uh, he got off the... 150 grand. Oh, is that all he got? And maybe a percentage or something. Oh, but it was 150 grand cash. I think it was a five million dollar lawsuit that he tried in the first yeah. place. Maybe then. And he said, and "That's Look, all he got." And they Paramount are like it's a win for Paramount. Obviously, we paid him fuck all. Yeah. And he was like, "Well, I didn't think I was going to get millions for the script in the first place, so I'll take the 150, and I'm happy." Yeah. Okay. I mean, for a normal human. Yeah. I would be happy with that. I don't think it was his bread and butter, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, fair enough. I got one for you, Greg. Oh, yeah? A little one for one. Did you know there was a television show that was a spin off of the movie? Yeah. I by read this. Eddie Murphy Studios or Eddie Murphy Productions or whatever it was. Eddie Murphy's Studio. <laughs> Eddie Murphy's Studio. No, until today. Yeah, me too. Well, to be fair, it was only a pilot. But um, the plot was. Akeem, now the king, sent his unruly brother Tariq to New York City to attend Queen's College. Tariq was played by Tommy Davidson, who I didn't know by name, but he's the guy in Booty Call and a lot of movies <laughs> of that ilk. Ah, yes. <laughs> like <laughs> a, yeah. lot of, a lot of good shitty movies. I loved Booty Call when I was young. Yeah, same. Um, he's in In Living Colour. He's, oh, yeah, he's one of those him. guys, you know the face. Yeah. He was like hot property at the time. This was supposed to be this show was supposed to be a big deal. Yeah, and they they recorded a pilot and everything, but it kind of just didn't take off. Um, but I do have the pilot right here. I'll just play the intro. Strictly business. The whole episode is on is is on um, YouTube. Oh, really? I'll just play the opening. That's some poor sound quality right there. Isn't it? Yeah. But that was really just to prove that it exists. <laughs> <laughs> and had they, I think they used the same illustrator to create Zamunda. I think they did. Um, 
Before we get into verdict, one thing I just I would just like to take a moment to shout out big friend of the show, Arsenio Hall. Mm. As we've alluded to, and as you know, friends of the show, if you've been listening at all, uh, we often refer to Arsenio for his depth of knowledge and uh, all the content he's all the interviews he's done. For the promo tours, a lot of the movies we cover, especially Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, they're buds. And I'm still quietly waiting for, a, for a, what's his name? Oh, yeah, I want Aaron Sorkin to write a script about the Jean-Claude Van Damme appearances on our city at all. Oh. Because okay. there's like this distinct period. It's like five movies in a row mm. and they seem to get along so well. Yeah. I want to see an overdeveloped script about it. Okay. <laughs> With a lot of dialogue? Yeah. Snappy dialogue? Like the Steve Jobs movie where each – it's like three scenes only and it's before three big product reveals. Oh. So I'd want to see like the three big interviews but the small talk before the thing. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, just invent drama behind it. Crescendoing in the one where he takes The Venom Dest? The Venom. The, yeah, the, the denim vest. Yeah. The Venom Dest. <laughs> venom Desk. We're all over the anagrams today. This might be the BV talking. <laughs> see what I did there? I did. <laughs> Um, he meant VB. But yeah, Arsenio Hall, what I thought, well, I think I yelled that too loud. But yeah, Arsenio Hall. <laughs> Arsenio Hall. A couple of, we don't get much to talk about him very much. I mentioned his um, big breakthrough was stepping in for Joan Rivers. Then he eventually got the Arsenio Hall show. But there was another talk show hosted by Alan Thicke. From Growing Pains. Robin's father. Robin's father. Robin Thick. Guess what this show is called? Robin's Thick. Thick of the Night. Oh. Why don't they have, why don't all the late night shows puns? That'd be great. Anyway, he was the sidekick slash announcer guy on that. Was he? I don't think it lasted long. But how well, was that? Another two bit. question then. He won the Celebrity Apprentice. Did he? In like 2005 or something. Who was the? Yahayed. Who was the boss? Trump. Was Trump did celebrity as well, did he? Yeah. Arsenio won. Arsenio won. Man. Good man. Good man. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah, I like him. But I just wanted to give a moment because, yeah, he's a big part of our show as it turns out. Yes. He's a big friend of the show. And because of what Big friend of Eddie Murphy's. He's Eddie Murphy's child, one of his children's. Dads. Godfather. <laughs> Godfather. God, Godfather. Eddie Murphy's got so many kids, man. He does have a few. But it's um, there's all these because um, there's so much press out right now. That I saw some there's like family photos and stuff. It looks like a lot of fun. This family. Imagine, I would, imagine if Eddie Murphy's your dad. How look, good is that? Yes, there's a good chance at least a couple of his kids are hilarious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and one of his daughters in this movie in in the sequel. So that's pretty exciting. With scary spice. No, he had kids with scary spice. Yeah. I think that's the youngest. Mel B. <laughs> Have you ever watched that? <clears throat> no. Bo Selector. Oh, did they? I've only seen the Craig David thing. Mel B. Talks like this. It's not far off. Yeah. Should we get into the verdict? Yeah. I don't know what to say, really. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. I am the law. I'd like you to answer the question, Judge. I want to have them answered immediately. You can't handle the truth. What are you waiting for? Ah! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. Nothing further. Your Honor. And that's all I have to say about that. 
I do have an overall thought here, Greg, but it's a bit stream of conscious, but I did write it down and I'm going to read it. Oh, nice. This movie is good. How many O's? Oh, I lose count with those. I get a bit dyslexic Eight. with it. Maybe. Now, this movie is good. Sometimes I like to think of spiritual trilogies. Sometimes it's director-led, so you've got like your Goodfellas Casino, The Irishman. They're not sequels to each other, but they kind of work. You could watch them as a triple feature kind of thing. you got mm. maybe Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward's Hands. Yeah, it kind of works. But sometimes sometimes these things work as well beyond directors and it's more like a the double feature of, of coming to America and Black Panther. It's quite cool. This this whole, as you may have noticed by the amount of airtime I've given it, this has really breathed new life into the movie for me. Mm. I mean, A, it was already better than I remembered, but it, it's more important than I remembered, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And and looking at it through the fairy tale lens as well, I don't think I hit that enough. Looking at it, like watching it consciously as a fairy tale is also pretty interesting because it's like, yep, that checks all the boxes. But then with that, the Wakanda level two, it's it's just a it's a great rewatch. Mm. It's one of the rewatches, one of the rare rewatches we've done, which, in my opinion, is better than I remembered. But also, is almost as culturally relevant as ever, and had more cultural relevance than I realized this entire time. Or that anyone realized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. It's just kind of sad that I suppose that what I've just called like a spiritual pairing of movies, <laughs> that there's 30 years between them. Yeah, and it's still. Yeah, like it kind of, it's great that Black Panther happened, but it kind of sucks that, that, has, that that's a big deal that it happened yeah. 30 years later. Yeah. Anyway, what about you, Greg? Is this a rewatch? This is a 10 out of 10 rewatch. I love this film. There's, there's so much to love about it. It's got a sweet story. Eddie Murphy is just proper vintage doing, yeah. you know, a handful of characters that as a kid I didn't even realise were him. He's just playing, having fun with it. And yeah. Arsenio does I a bunch as well. I didn't realise that Sol, that the Jewish guy was him because there was a post-credit scene. Yeah. yeah. He's like, you know, there's Eddie Murphy. Yeah. She's like, oh, yeah. Which I've said to Ara for years. Yeah. Aha. Aha. What is it, Velvet? <laughs> Carol goes, oh, is that where this is that from? <laughs> I was expecting that. I didn't remember, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's, there's, there's tons in here that I love and I think the, it's obviously an Eddie Murphy vehicle. However, mm. the support cast, like everyone in this is awesome. Man, yeah. You know, I love the dad, John Amos and Mr. McDowell. The whole McDowell thing is hilarious. Oh, and the sister, like um, – um, Lisa's sister I mm. really thought was amazing. Yeah, she's also a babe, by the way. Yeah, she, yeah I never know. So I, yeah. I would have been fine there. <laughs> um, oh, Carol said that she would have preferred this movie if Nia Long was Lisa. You could say that about a lot of movies. <laughs> <laughs> you could, but I was glad Lisa that she was said it because then I could be like, yeah, it's so true. Now, Lisa was I, great too. Yeah, I thought she wasn't as into Lisa as I was um, mm. in, you know, as a character. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just a tight... Package. Fucking good. I Well, not that we, we haven't given star ratings for every movie, but I think this is my first five stars since giving star ratings when we do yeah, now and since then. We, I've given a lot of threes. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of middle of the road. Oh, this is a definite five this star This is a five too. star, I love man. this movie. It's one of my favourite movies. Yeah. I it's, love it's, it. it's, for me, it's a movie that I've always loved and it's always been around. But I think nowadays it's gone up a peg, yeah, even more so. So many lines as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh. So good. And probably also because I did just watch all these movies at the same time, it probably diluted, mm. <laughs> you know, I bucketed the them all together that how good this one is oh. singularly. And the music. The Man, songs. it's all so good. All the it's songs. so good. I got high hopes for the sequel. I spoke to some people that said, oh, it looks shit, but I the trailer for this would look yet. stupid too. Like I'm hoping it's still, it's just an absurd premise, but I'm hoping it's all still there. I'm going in with a low expectation. We can watch it from tomorrow, I think. So yeah, that'll be exciting. Yeah, I'll probably watch it this weekend. Yeah, yeah. I might make popcorn. Or for those listening, you could watch it from two days ago or uh-huh. now. Oh, right now. Mm. Quit your job. Watch it coming to America. Yeah. Maybe I'll review it on Pop Critic. That's, there's there's material there. Yeah. I never have enough time for that thing. But hey, but there's never you, enough time. But there's still a bunch of videos on Pop Critic if you haven't checked it out yet. So it's youtube.com slash the Pop Critic. That's my YouTube channel. Easy to remember. Easy to remember. The merch store is still live and we got those Friends of the Show shirts in black as requested. Yeah. Go and buy them. You got anything to plug, Greg? Next week. Next week. What are we doing? I don't know yet. Silence of the Lambs? Maybe Silence of the Lambs. Maybe something a little like heavier. Mm. I'm going to go and see something that's free on that streaming. Disney's opened up a whole new chapter of uh, Star. Star. Get around it, people. Yeah. Because, um, you know, we're going to find something in there. Oh, we're running out of time, but I forgot we didn't do our tests. But just to call out one, because the rest are pretty obvious, Porn Parody, yes, there is one. And C-U-M-M-I-N-G. Coming on America. Oh, coming on I couldn't America. skip that. Coming in America. Yeah, coming <laughs> on. Yeah. Coming for America, like a, a, a sex games. Yeah, I mean, it, it all works. Mm. It would have been a very productive Water brainstorm. MVP Eddie Murphy, surely. 100% low-key Eddie Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> now, there's lots of low-key. I, I honestly reckon that everyone in this movie is awesome. They just play yeah. their per, part perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you'd probably say that the other ca- main character was Queens. I'd probably say. Yeah. You know what? You're right. I nearly forgot to say that. You're, you're totally right there, Greg. Profound. Hmm. I'd probably give Queen 2B guy a low-key VP. Yeah. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's got a name. <laughs> Paul Bates. Oh, he's Batesy. real? Batesy. Batesy. We know Beta. Paul Bates. Beta. All right, bye. bye. <laughs>